0: If you have a Bible, I invite you to go to 1 Timothy chapter 4 with me this morning. 1 Timothy chapter 4, it's a powerful video to start this and you'll understand a lot of the songs we have sung this morning. A lot of the themes have been about the Bible, the Word of God, Jesus Christ, and truth. And this morning we are going to continue our series in the third week of 2016 on this Sunday that we are the church. You didn't come to church. We are the church. We gathered as the church, and we want to know if we are the church, if we are Christians, how do, how do we live life? How are we supposed to talk and live and act in the world? And so we're looking through this letter called 1 Timothy, and today we're in chapter 4, looking at 1 to 5, and I want us to kind of really dig into what's on your bulletin, the temptations that the church faces. But as you're thinking about truth and all this, we are in a political culture. We're in an election culture. In our country, we just finished up provincial elections and federal elections. In America right now, it is at a phonetic fever pitch, the idea of elections. And so it was interesting to me that as I was studying for this, I found this um, little excerpt in, in my studies about election time and about a politician in a state election And he decided to go to the local reservation in his state to try and get the Native American vote. And everybody was assembled in the council hall of the reservation to hear his speech. And the politician had worked up to his finale and the crowd was getting more and more excited and he burst out, I promise, better educational opportunities for Native Americans. And the crowd went wild and they shouted, Hoya! Hoya! Now, the politician was a bit puzzled by this native word, but he was encouraged by their enthusiasm. And so he went further and he said, I promise gambling reforms for this reservation, and I will make sure that you're allowed to have your own casino. And the crowd yelled out again, Hoya, Hoya, and this time they stomped their feet and he was even more excited now and he finished off his speech i promise more social reforms and job opportunities for native americans and the crowd reached a frenzied pitch shouting hoya 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 and after the speech the politician was given a tour of the reservation and as, we, as he was doing it, he saw this uh, tremendous herd of cattle. And being uh, born on a ranch and being a, a farmer all of his life, he asked the chief if he could go take a closer look at the cattle. Of which the chief said, Sure, but as you go, be careful not to step in the hoya. <laughs> That's a laugh delay there, isn't it? Now, truth, being honest. Staying on track, being on message, staying on point. Now, we've got a lot of cliches in our English language, don't we? Let me ask you, and again, it's a rhetorical question. You don't have to answer out loud, but is there truth in politics? Hmm. Looking at some of your faces, I got my answer. Is reality TV really reality? <laughs> Can we trust the news? Or in the last few months and years, can you trust the news broadcasters to tell you the truth? Do you really know if your friend is really that honest guy or girl that you say or think they are? I mean, how many times over the last months or years have we seen on the news a neighbor being interviewed of someone going, I really thought I knew that guy, I really thought I knew that girl, only to find out that what they thought was truth wasn't truth. Truth. As we saw in the video, what is truth? Where do you find truth? How do you define truth? How should you know if you trust or should trust truth? It was interesting in my studies. Nabil uh, Qureshi, a Christian apologist, humorously wrote this. If truth doesn't exist, then it would be true that truth doesn't exist. And once again, we arrive at truth truth must exist. All right, just take that in. This is the circular reasoning of the world we live in. Truth. Jesus said that he was truth. In fact, the Bible says the truth shall set you free. The psalmist said thy word is truth. So as I start and I kind of tip my hand, I would like to give you a definition of truth according to the Bible. John MacArthur has written an excellent book called The Truth War. And in it, he gives this bi- biblical definition of truth. He says, truth is that which is consistent with the mind, will, character, glory, and being of God. Truth is the self-expression of God. That is the biblical meaning of truth. Truth. Because the definition of truth flows from God, truth is theological. Truth is theological. Now, closely companion with truth is faith. Think about faith. What is it? How do you know if you have it? If you do, where should you place it? And funny, in, in Hebrews chapter 11, the writer of Hebrews says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. So faith is, I believe that something I hope in is going to happen. And he says, the conviction of things not seen. Even more amazing is that Hebrews also says, without faith it is impossible to please God. But few people actually read the entire verse. They know that phrase. In Hebrews, here's the whole verse. And without faith it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists truth faith in truth and that he re- rewards those who seek him so truth and faith we have all these cliches too with faith right he has faith she has faith or he or she has lost their faith or fell away from the faith or someone are you religious do you have faith where do i find faith We've even got songs written about faith in all genres of music. When I was uh, a young adult, uh, George Michael had this uh, uh, song, You Gotta Have Faith. I mean, everybody's writing about it. And the Bible has a lot to say about truth and faith. And since we are, as a church, setting our trajectory for 2016 as being the year of the Bible, that we're going to be a church, a people who will learn God's word and love God's word and live God's word. And as a result of doing that, we will be servants and we will make servants. Doesn't it make perfect sense then that we look to God's word on this month of January, only three Sundays into the year, and we look at what it means to have truth and faith or what is the opposite of truth and faith? And if you look at 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 to 5, you will see exactly that in 1 to 5. Let me read 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 to 5, and then we're going to go through this. I have to tell you, this was a fun sermon and a really hard sermon to prepare. And in all honesty and full disclosure, it's almost going to feel like it's two separate sermons. I apologize for that, and then I don't apologize for that. Yes, I am confused. Um, but let's look at 1 Timothy 4, verse 1. Now the Spirit expressly says, now I want you to understand, Paul says that after he has just finished what he wrote in the end of chapter 3, where he says that God is the pillar and buttress, or the church is the living, uh, of the, living the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. And he says, great indeed if we confess the mystery of godliness. And what is this truth? that Jesus was manifested in the flesh and vindicated by the Spirit and seen by angels and proclaimed among the nations and believed on in the world and taken up into glory. But then he says now, but the Spirit expressly says, even though that's truth, in the latter times, some will depart from the faith. Some will depart from the faith. Now notice how they will. By devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons, So some are going to fall away. This is how they're going to do it. And this is who they'll do it at the hands of. Notice, through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. Now, what's their message? They forbid marriage, and they require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. So you're seeing these words, faith and truth, truth and faith everywhere. Verse 4 For everything created by God is good. Now, if you walk away from anything today, walk away, remember, everything created by God is good. Do you know how much that affects our Christianity? It doesn't matter if you're male or female, young or old, whole or disabled. It doesn't matter what your lot, everything created by God is good. And nothing is to be rejected if it was received with thanksgiving. Now, in the context of food, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer, faith and truth, the word of God and prayer. And may God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Now, you'll probably see that these five verses fall apart layer by layer in five steps. Number one is God said this falling away would happen, all right? The Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith. God said this would happen, okay? None of us should be shocked. 1 Timothy 4, 1 to 5 is to show that the problems that Timothy is currently experiencing is not to be unexpected. We need to learn to discern. We need to understand. We need to know the truth, and we need to know what is not truth. And so what's happening at Ephesus, Paul said what happened, remember I've been there many times back in Acts chapter 20 when I was reading Romans 15 and he talks about I want to come to you in Rome but I have to go to Jerusalem first. Well if you read the rest of that narrative in Acts chapter 18 and 19 he ends up going to Jerusalem. He ends up Um, being arrested there, he's beaten, arrested, he's sent to Caesarea, where he's under arrest there in prison for two years, finally appeals to Caesar because he's a Roman citizen, and he's put on a ship and sent to Rome. So from Romans 15, when he actually gets to Rome, he gets there as a prisoner in prison. So it didn't go well. Remember, his prayer request was pray that I, I, the unbelievers in Judea will not be able to get me and that the, the brothers and the saints will be uh, upli- Well, they're uplifted, but tragedy awaits him, okay? And so on his way to Rome, he stops and he calls the elders of Ephesus to him in Acts chapter 20, and he says to them in Acts chapter 20, listen to me, when I depart... People dressed, wolves in sheep's clothing will come in to the church. And then he says, what's worse, some from among you will be wolves in sheep's clothing. So this is not to surprise Timothy. It shouldn't surprise us. God said this would happen. If you read your Bible at all, you will know that truth is always under attack by some person or group of people always. In Galatia, just read the book of Galatians. In Philippi, read the book of Philippians. If you read Revelation chapter 2 and 3 at the church of Sardis or the church of Laodicea and on and on it would go. If you read Matthew chapter 24 and 25, Jesus spells it out. But I find it fascinating. He tells a parable in Matthew chapter 13 when Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in the field. So Jesus says, I'm coming, and I'm going to save some, and people will be my children. But he says, but while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. In other words, no matter where you find truth and faith, you will find these weeds, people that will attack truth and faith. And so not only did Paul warn about this and predict it, folks, from Genesis to Revelation, it's everywhere in your Bible. Moses talks about it in Deuteronomy chapter 20 to 24. All of the prophets of the Old Testament, major and minor, talk about this apostasy or this falling away from the faith or this attack on truth. Jude does in his little book that's just before Revelation. John does in 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. Peter does in 1st and 2nd Peter. So, ladies and gentlemen, we cannot for one second think there will be not someone who will attempt to change or discredit the gospel or the Bible or Jesus Christ. And you know what? You and, you and I know that to be true. You have all had friends or acquaintances or someone that you knew they seemed religious or they seemed to be going and they they seemed to be excited about the Bible and and now they're not. In fact, I remember my last ministry, to illustrate this, uh, my wife and I got married and we had a large wedding party Debbie had sisters and a lot of friends, and because she had sisters and a lot of friends, I had to go make friends so I could match up my wedding party with hers. And so we had, I think it was six groomsmen and bridesmaids and then junior ones and stuff like that. I mean, we weren't just a wedding party. We were like a, a, a tribe, okay? But I showed the, the wedding picture, and often at our, on our anniversary, I, I love to go back and reminisce and look at our wedding party. But one of the bittersweet things for me is that when I look at my wedding party and all the people in it, Every one of us on the day of that wedding claimed to be a Christian. And today, 24 years later, which will be in this August, 50% of the people in that picture no longer claim to be Christians. They want nothing to do with Jesus. They no longer go to church. They're cynical about truth and faith. And it breaks my heart. And I've sat and looked at that picture many times and said, how did, how did that happen? I, I, I went to church with these people. I went to Sunday school with these people. We memorized Bible verses together. We went to youth group together. We went to camp together. We went on retreats together. I sang in church with these people in choirs. And, sp- and now we're practically strangers because I believe in Jesus and they don't. What happens, but God said this would happen, and notice that one of the best examples of this is Judas. Remember, Judas. One of the 12 that walked with Jesus as his disciples, he said all the right things. He heard all of the truth that all the other 11 did. He got to participate in it. And remember, he had all of the trappings of it. And you remember that time when the woman with the alabaster box come and she breaks that expensive perfume over the feet of Jesus and she washes his feet with it. And what does Judas do? In very religious tone says, this was very expensive. And if if she had not wasted this but given it to us, We could have fed the poor for a year. And Jesus answers them, but Matthew tells us, Judas said all that, but he actually was a thief. He held all the money, and it said he was siphoning off money for himself. And we ultimately know that Judas had no faith. He did not truly believe in truth. And you'll notice in our passage in verse 1, it says that the Spirit expressly says this will happen in latter times. Now, what that means is not some future time, that we live in the latter times, okay? From the time that Jesus ascended to heaven in Acts chapter 1 until that time that Jesus comes back, we are going to face those who seek to lead astray or to flat-out hinder people from coming to Jesus. And so, number two, it's always of the devil. Not only does God say this is going to happen, but number two, it's always of the devil. Look at our passage again in 1 Timothy chapter 4. He says, the Spirit expressly says that some will depart from the faith, how? By devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars and whose consciences are seared. See, Paul told the Ephesians about this in Ephesians chapter 6. In Ephesians chapter 6 verse 10, Paul says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might put on the whole full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. One of the commentators I read said, a person never stands isolated. If he is not influenced by the Holy Spirit, he or she at once falls under the power of deceitful spirits. If you're not going to find your truth in God's word, you will go find truth somewhere. If you won't put your faith in God's word, you will put your faith somewhere, and everywhere else is not of God. And this is what we need to understand. Paul is not saying, you notice he says they're, they're, they're insincere. He's saying they're not honest. They are liars. I mean, this is strong language. This is by no means politically correct. It's the opposite of what Paul said was true Christians are supposed to have. Uh, Bill Mounts explains it this way. This phrase is important in the overall interpretation of the passage because it raises the question of the opponent's sincerity. See, the opponents here have not been tricked. They haven't been fooled. They don't deserve the benefit of the doubt. They know what they're doing and teaching is wrong and they do it anyway. If you want an explanation of that, read Romans chapter 1. These are not people that are like, oh, I, I didn't know what I was teaching was wrong. They know what they're doing is wrong, and they still do it anyway. And then you'll notice, number three, that there are three different groups at play in this passage. All right? God said this would happen. It's always from the devil, and I want you to see the three different groups, and I'm going to ask everybody to do your best to identify who you are, because you'll notice there's the opponents... We know who they are, right? The liars, the insincere liars, the ones whose consciences are seared. There's the true believers, because this letter is written to the church, written to true believers. But the one that I always struggle with is those who had fallen away. See, these are the three groups. There are those who are true believers, and you're being told as true believers, know truth, know where your faith is. You're being told to know who the opponents are. Those who have no interest in Jesus, truth, or faith, but are only interested in leading people astray, leading up, a, c- creating a, a group for themselves. But then you've got this group who had fallen away. And they fell away because they devoted themselves not to truth and faith, but to this deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. So the opponents are easy. They're the hypocritical liars. They're the ones that, that they're not influenced by the Holy Spirit, but they're under that deceitful spirit. John MacArthur puts it like this, to purvey their, purvey their hellish teachings, demons use human deceivers who speak their lies. They may be religious leaders, and every one of you right now are flashing pictures in your mind. They appear outwardly good and devout. They may teach a, a, in some Christian college or seminary. They may be a pastor. They may be a church. They may write theological books or commentaries. They wear the mask of religion, even Christianity, and they wear a mask of piety and holiness, but they don't serve God, but Satan. I know this to be true because one of the men that I looked up to greatly when I was in my seminary and was a man of renown who who looked good and acted good and he said all the right things and it was one of the biggest moments of the shaking of my faith because he was at a, a conference and he was preaching and teaching and he left his cell phone on the pulpit and he left to go and talk and someone went to get his cell phone and bring it back to him and while they were bringing his cell phone back to him, a young underage girl sent him a nude photo of herself because he was in a relationship with her. And had snuck her across state lines. And he's now in prison. He was a hypocrite. He was a liar. He was a fraud. This is what Paul is telling us. To, those are the opponents. They may look like this. They, they blaspheme God. And if you are sitting under teachers that, like this, that has no redeeming value, but then there are those who had fallen away. These are the ones that Paul talks about in verse one and two, some will depart from the faith. how, by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teaching of demons, they devote themselves to devote themselves. Where do you spend your time? If you want to know the truth, if you want to have good faith, where are you devoting yourself? Who are you listening to? What are you filling your mind with? If you can read all about this, in fact, I wish I had the time. If you were to go to Matthew again, chapter thirteen. Jesus gives the parable of what he calls the sower and the seed, and he talks about a man who sows seed, and as he throws it, some falls on hard ground, and those are people that hear the word and don't want any part of it, and it says the Satan sends the birds, and they come, and they pluck the seed, and off it goes, and you've all experienced that. People that doesn't matter how much you tell them about Jesus, they want no part of it, but then he talks about the shallow ground or the rocky, rocky ground or the ground that has a lot of weeds in it. And he says, and both of those hear the word and receive it gladly. But then it says, by either tribulation and trial come, and they're like, no, 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 no. This was, this was cool. While it was a social club, it was cool. while well, the going was easy. But if, if, if faith and truth means it's going to hurt me, I'm, I'm not in. And then the other one is the weeds, and it says they receive the word and they they want it in. But then when the cares of the world, when money, and, and you remember our video from New City Catechism about the rich young ruler, he comes to Jesus and he says, what must I do to have eternal life? And everybody would think, man, wouldn't it be awesome if someone came to you this week and said, how can I live forever? But what he really meant was, how can I live forever with my stuff? I just want a good life. I want easy street. The world is the one who has coined the phrase, greed is good. All right? So we need to realize that. And then there's the true believers, those whom, whom Timothy is to warn and caution and teach. And the question is, who are you? As you sit here this morning, are you someone that's kind of playing church, but you're not really sure? Are you really an opponent to God's word? Or are you truly a believer? Are you truly a believer? Number four, they always have the same type of message. They always have the same type of message. The message is always the same. Notice what it says. You need something besides Jesus to make it all work. That's always the same. But what should you expect the message to be? Well, the truth is anything contrary to scripture can be the entry point of demonic teaching. That's what we're supposed to see. We might have expected, and this is what amazes me about this passage, you might have expected Paul to go, you know what? Watch out for those who deny the Trinity or deny Jesus or they reject salvation by grace alone. But that's not what they do. No, these are people who are messing around with marriage and food. They're just they're giving you a bunch of extra stuff to be attached to the gospel. You see, Satan is so subtle. He'll seek to to gain a foothold or territory in your heart or your mind. And Paul's opponents enforced simply dietary restrictions and marriage. It was simply legalism or what I call denialism or liberalism. Those are your three isms that I think the church faces, and I will tell you that in a a minute. But William Brackley says it like this. There was an ever-recurring heresy in the church. In every generation, men arose who tried to be stricter than God. You'll always find someone trying to be stricter than God. But they sh- to show that they are wrong, Paul gives us two reasons in our passage. Looks. God created food good. He created everything good. And by prayer before a meal, it confirms the food's goodness. Because why? When you pray, you're giving thanks to who? God. You're acknowledging God as the creator. You're acknowledging God as the giver. By the way, I have to tell you, this was a a great reaffirmation for me of why it's so important to say your blessing before you eat. It's not just to be thankful for the food, but it's to remember this comes from God. Now, I I know the whole Tim Hawkins thing. All right? For those of you that know this Christian comedian, I know when you're at Tim Hortons and you're having your Boston cream and you're going, now, Lord, bless this food and use it to nourish my body as I eat it, so change this Boston cream donut to carrots as it goes down my throat. I'm not talking about that kind of prayer, okay? But I am saying to be thankful. This is what God's word says, and you'll notice, number five, you guard against this with God's word. Oh, Calvary, God created marriage, God created marriage. God created f- food, and He called them both good back in Genesis chapter one and two. But notice what these people are doing, they're not only say, we are not only to see them as good, but we're to give thanks for them. You see, prayer gives us the right perspective. Prayer gives us the right perspective. Now, a couple of things that are at play here, though I want me to see. The heresy that's growing is coming from the fact that the false teachers felt that the spirit was good and matter was evil. All right, so that's why they said marriage is bad. They thought because anything physical was bad and only spirit was good. But I want us now to think about the temptations as we walk through this. Because you see, isn't it funny how we can, as a people, know something, we can have read it, heard it, seen it, we've even agreed with it, and we say we understand it, but we don't think it will happen to me. or We don't think it will happen to us. And then we're shocked or surprised that it actually did happen. So if someone smokes for years and years and years, I remember my uncle started smoking when he was 12, and I'm not talking about whether it's sinful or not, I'm just talking about good health and what we now know physically about uh, addictive chain smoking, all right? So my uncle started smoking at 12, and he smoked all the way till his 60s, and finally he goes to the doctor, and the doctor says to him, Max, you have to stop smoking, So, my Uncle Max stops smoking, and literally, I think about two to three weeks after he stops smoking, he gets cancer. And he was shocked that he got cancer. Yet, for most of his life, every time he bought bought a box of cigarettes, it said, These things will cause cancer. It says it right on the box. And yet, he was shocked when it happened. How many of us can play with sin, play with error? play with stuff, and, and we understand it, we know it, and yet we don't think it'll happen to me. How many people will have, men and women, will have emotional affairs or friendships that scrape just a little bit too close? It's a, no, 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 I know what I'm doing, it won't happen to me, and then it does. How many girls and guys, when they're dating, don't have good standards and protect themselves and 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 girls don't demand not expect demand that guys treat them with care and dignity and respect and as a gift of God and said no 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 no, I got this only to find they put themselves in a position where they don't got this and then they're shocked when it goes bad I mean that's reality this is what we got to be careful of The truth is we can all likely think of someone who came to church, read a Bible, attended a life group, served on a committee, prayed, sang, and said that they loved God, but where are they now? Where are they now? And Paul tells Timothy that this falling away or this walking away, this changing truth to suit our needs, this creating a God that we can live with is something the Holy Spirit has expressly said would happen, and folks, it will happen here. The question is, will we let it happen to us? So what is this falling away? What are these three temptations? Well, I'm glad you asked. So here's the first temptation we face as a church. Number one, the false teaching of legalism. The false teaching of legalism. Now, if you remember a few weeks back or a few months ago, I told you what is legalism because legalism takes three forms. The number one form of legalism is when a person attempts to keep the law in order to attain salvation. That's what this video was all about from the New City Catechism, Brother Leek Duncan. When you think, you know what, I'll make sure my good outweighs my bad so I deserve to get in. That's a false teaching. The Bible does not say that. The Bible says there are none that does good. There was none that were looking for God. There are none righteous. No, not one. You will never live up to God's standard. He's perfect. We're not. Find the best person in the world. And how does that person measure up against the perfection and holiness of God? Legalism also shows itself when a person keeps the law in order to maintain their salvation. So in other words, many people get saved and they think, okay, so all of the things I did in the past are now forgotten. It's like I had a bunch of debt and Jesus paid off my debt and now my bank account is at zero and now I got to build my bank account up i got to make sure I stay on the positive side. And so some people then spend their lives being, being spiritually active but not righteous. And there's a lot of people in church doing that. A lot of people are spiritually busy but not righteous because they're trusting in their goodness to keep them saved. And then what I think is maybe a problem even in this church, let's make it personal, is that form of legalism when a christian judges other christians for not keeping certain codes of conduct that he thinks or she thinks need to be observed. So in other words, when i don't struggle with something and i find it easy to take that out of my life, but you don't and then i'm like i'm i'm better than him. And if you were really spiritual, you would stop doing what i don't do. Or if you were really spiritual, you would do what i do. That that's not the gospel. If I can put it anyway, this is legalism is Jesus plus something equals everything. All right? That is a temptation that we face as a a church. Legalism is is Jesus plus something equals everything. But don't forget what Paul said in Galatians chapter 1. In Galatians 1, Paul said, as we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For, I am now, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I tr- trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Remember that to be an opponent of God and his truth is not to accidentally fall into it, but to knowingly do it. And I can tell you that Christians can be opponents of God. Do you remember when Jesus looks at Peter and says, uh, Get behind me, Satan. I, I, this is why I love Peter because Peter only a few verses earlier in Matthew 16 Jesus says Peter man God's shown you something and upon this rock I will build my church and then Peter's like yeah and he beats his chest and then Jesus says everybody's going to forsake me and Peter goes uh, <clears throat> Lord a word I don't, I don't like this cross thing and I don't think you should have to do it and by the way if you do the cross thing which I don't think you need to do and everybody else takes off I won't, I won't take off And Jesus looks at him and goes, get behind me, Satan. He had become an opponent of it. And again, if you read in in Galatians chapter 2, Peter and Barnabas become an opponent to the gospel. When Paul says, but when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Why? For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. All food was good. So even though he was a good observant Jew... He likely was having lobster with the Gentile boys down in Galatia, all right? But then the bigwigs from the church of Jerusalem came down and he separated himself and only ate kosher with the other guys. And Paul says, listen, you're you're being an opponent. Notice he says, but when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. That's Jesus plus something. And the rest of the Jews, notice this word, acted hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, Peter, before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? He calls them out. He says, you're not living the gospel, man. So there's the false teaching of legalism. Then what I've called the false teaching of denialism. The fancy word for it, and I just didn't like the word, is called asceticism, all right? And I just didn't think it had a nice ring to it. So I went with denialism, which is a Steve word, all right? I made it up. So there's the false temptation or the false teaching of denialism. And in our immediate passage, Paul was saying these people were denying, saying stay single or stay away from certain types of foods. Now you need to understand again what's going on here. These teachers were hypocrites. They were saying, what they were saying is not what they were doing. Their theology is bad because they focused on the end and end times. If you remember in Matthew, some Pharisees go to Jesus trying to chick him and say, this guy had a wife and he died. Now you got to understand Jewish tradition, that the way it worked in Judaism, that if you had a wife and you died and you had a single brother, then your brother would then marry the widow. And so these guys bring uh, this example to Jesus and they go, this woman had a husband and he died and then she married his brother and then he died and then she married his brother and he died and, and they did this seven times. I mean, she's a black widow. I mean, you know, I, I, I by the time the seventh th- brother came out, he was like, I, I really don't want to marry this woman. All right. Everybody died that married this woman. And then the 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 Pharisees say, so in heaven, whose wife is she? And that's when Jesus says, listen, in heaven, there is no marriage and giving in marriage because we are all one with each other. There's an intimacy even greater because we often associate marriage with physical intimacy. But God says there's a greater intimacy, the intimacy of knowing each other intellectually and emotionally and spiritually. And I'm going to bring that up in a second. And so these people were living in the end as if somehow they could recreate the end perfection. So there won't, we don't need marriage and we don't need certain types of food because we're going to go for the perfection. But you can't make the perfection of creation and the perfection of Christ and the timing of God or the future promises of God submit to us. We've got to submit to them. That's what Hebrews 11 and 12 is all about. So let me bring it into 21st century, 2016. So on television, you're listening and here are the types of denialism that you hear on television, the prosperity gospel, sinless perfection, the holiness movement, seeker sensitive, or the healing movement. All of these are attached to what Paul is dealing with in 1 Timothy 4, what he's warning about, what he's exposing. They're not the gospel. They lead people to false hope false expectations, false professions, and ultimately to the denying of Jesus and his word. Why? Because at worst, you become your own God. And at best, you're a partner with God, and both are wrong. Remember that in Hebrews 13, we see summed up everything we've looked at. The writer in Hebrews 13 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings. If someone is telling you, I have found something new in the Bible, beware. Because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It It is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. What do you do? Take the prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel is that God wants us all to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. I really wonder how people come to that conclusion because I don't think they've read their Bible. What do you do with Job who said, naked I came into the world and naked I leave it? Right? What do you do with Abraham or Moses What do you do with all the prophets who were killed and martyred? The disciples, not one of them made it. The last one to live was John. He was boiled in oil and and, and exiled to Patmos and then crucified. What do you do with the church fathers, the reformers, the martyrs, all of those of the last hundred years? Jesus didn't save us to be rich, people. He didn't save us to have comfortable lifestyles or to be happy, wealthy, and wise. God saved us to glorify himself and to transform and then renew us, and the promise of relief and perfection is still to come. We truly live in the already, but not yet. Now, does that mean that God doesn't bless us? Sure he does. That's why Job says he gives and takes away, but blessed be the name of the Lord. So what is denialism? Denialism is Jesus minus something equals everything. That's denialism. So, okay, I have Jesus, but then I got to take this and this and this and this away. And if I do this and this and this and this away, then I've got everything. No, no, no. And then finally, there's the false teaching of liberalism. And this one's one of my favorites because liberalism is really rampant in our world today, which is basically anything plus Jesus equals everything. Just add Jesus. And if you want to know what this is all about, Paul writes about it in Romans chapter 6. Remember when he says, should we sin that grace may abound? God forbid. Or in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Here was what was happening in the Corinthian church. In 1 Corinthians chapter 8, because they believed that matter was evil and spirit was good, therefore what you did with matter didn't matter. All right? So there was people going to prostitutes on a Saturday night and then going to church Sunday morning. And you know what their mindset was? The food for the belly and belly for food. So therefore, you know, sex is part of the body, so I'll just have some sex. And Jesus said, Paul says in 1 Corinthians, don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? See, these people believe that, well, as long as I got Jesus, I can do anything, and that equals everything. And so you can have a little, and you know who are the bait, and I, I know I tried not to name John, but Oprah Winfrey is this. Have a little bit of Jesus, and you can sprinkle in anything else you want, and you're good to go, as long as you're spiritual. And now who is our favorite little pastor friend right now? There's a guy named Rob Bell who was denied hell. He's denied everything. Basically live any way you like, have a little of this, have a little of that, whatever makes you happy, whatever brings you a little pleasure, whatever helps you make sense of life. If you want to add some Jesus, that's fine. In fact, if you actually study philosophies, the Baha'i faith is very much like this. Oh, have some Jesus. Just don't say that Jesus is the only way. That's liberalism. And now we've identified these temptations. What should we do about it? The question we must all ask ourselves here today is this. Are you satisfied with God's word? Are you satisfied with God's word? Do you look to the Bible when considering what anyone tells you or writes to you or emails you or whether that person's on TV, whether they're famous or popular or smart sounding? Will you go to God's word and say, speak, Lord. I've heard this or I've read this. It sounds good. But is it true? Should I believe in it or should I follow it? Should I change my life according to it? Jesus said in John 16, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. And here's how you know, he will glorify me. For he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So, the big question for all of us as I close is this Do you listen to Jesus? Do you listen to Jesus? Now, I mean, really? Do you listen to Jesus? In Mark chapter 14, Pilate looks at Jesus and says, What is truth? Pilate does. And Jesus says, Those that on, are on the side of truth, listen to me. Do you listen to Jesus? Calvary and friends, do you know the truth? Do you know the truth? Jesus said in John fourteen six, I am the way and I am the truth and I am the life. How many times in the Bible does Jesus say, follow me? and trust me, and learn from me, and lean on me, and know me, and come to me, and listen to me. But he also said, deny yourself, and humble yourself, and forget yourself. And then he said, repent, and ask for forgiveness. Admit you can't, and won't, and be honest about yourself. David said in Psalm 25, lead me in your truth, and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. Don't leave here today and become an opponent of God's word and his truth. Romans 1 has much to say about this, but in Romans chapter 2, Paul says, Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on another you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. You're a hypocrite. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Church, don't be easily led astray by that which is not too true. Matthew chapter 7, verse 22. Many said unto me, Lord, I've, I've done great things in your name and I've done miracles in your name. And Jesus says, depart from me, ye workers of iniquity. I never knew you. Calvary, don't be a believer who is not vigilant in knowing the truth and living by it. The Bible says this is good and is pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. That's 1 Timothy chapter 1. But how do you know if you're drifting away? How do you know if you're into the legalism or denialism or into liberalism? Here it is. If you think Christianity is a formula, if you think, okay, if I have, if I have Jesus and I add reading my Bible and prayer, then poof, good stuff happens. Well, what happens then when you read your Bible and pray and bad stuff happens? This Iranian pastor that just got freed over, over from Iran. Imagine if his philosophy was, if I do good things and read my Bible and pray good things will happen, then he gets arrested and spends years away from his family. What do you do then? If you think only in terms of results when God isn't enough and you just want God's stuff more than God himself, this is the sin of the prosperity gospel or secret sensitive and the healing movement. You see, that's like someone getting married. See, If I'm in love with Debbie only for the physical pleasure she gives me, what happens if we're in a horrific car accident and she can't give me physical pleasure? Do I stop loving her? Well, if that's the truth, I never loved her. I loved sex. And that's what a lot of people don't see. A lot of people are into God for God's stuff, and they're not into Jesus for Jesus. And if you find yourself constantly disappointed... If you find yourself constantly disappointed. And so, do you have any idols? Do you have any idols, Calvary? Kevin DeYoung puts it so well when he says, your idols will let you down. Your gods will fail you. And you know that you have made something into an idol when it lets you down and it feels as if your whole world has been destroyed it can be the kind of house you wanted, the kind of car you wanted to drive, the sports team you wanted to win, the relationship you wanted to happen, the kids you wanted to make all your dreams come true. It could be any number of good things, but if you turn any good thing in your life into a God, that God will let you down. So the obvious takeaway from this passage is to remember what Paul just said before it Jesus Christ is the answer, Jesus Christ is truth. Jesus has lived for us and died for us and rose again for us, for us to be right with God, for us to see God's glory displayed, for us in that justice and mercy collide so that grace can be applied. I remember in that movie, how many of you have seen the movie National Treasure? Be honest, National Treasure, where they find that mystical treasure in the bottom of New York Street, of Broadway and Park Avenue in New York, right? And when they find this treasure and the guy comes up and he's sitting down with the law guy and all this thing, and, and, and to find the treasure, things have been stolen and all kinds of things have happened. People have been hurt and killed. Property's been destroyed. The law has been broken without a doubt. And the main character says to the officer, I sure would like not to go to jail. In which the, man, the, 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 the police officer says, oh, then someone always has to go to jail. Someone always has to go to jail. You see, in the world, someone always has to pay for sin. But that's what Jesus did. That is the meaning behind Jesus' words in Matthew. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who in finding the pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Do you see it? Jesus is saying, once you realize that he paid it all, that he did it all, that he provides it all, then there's nothing you won't do. There's nothing you won't give up because it's not giving up at all because you've already won. In Jesus, you win just by having Jesus. So will you and I follow Christ? Because when we will, Jesus Christ is truly our cornerstone. Let's close in prayer. Father God, thank you for this opportunity to look into your word. Father, again, I beg of you that my friends and family, my brothers and sisters in the family of God are visitors and guests. will have heard a much better sermon than I have preached because they have heard the word of God. I pray that men and women here will search the scriptures to see if what I've said is true. That Holy Spirit of the living God you would guide us in truth. Increase our faith. And there's one here that doesn't know you or one who's questioning that they would be brave enough and courageous enough to ask. Show me truth. Show me Jesus. For Christians here to ask themselves, am I being an opponent of God's word and yet I claim to be a follower of God? Oh God, may we leave here saying that Christ is truly our cornerstone.